Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet, the go-to podcast for parents with multiple kids, especially those with twins, triplets, or more, who are navigating the maze of modern family life and personal finance. Whether you're overwhelmed by education or retirement planning, parenting dilemmas, career transitions, or trying to define your purpose and plan, we're here to guide you with empathy, encouragement, and expertise. Hosted by Paul Fenner, founder of Tama Capital, a certified financial planner and parent to four kids, including a set of triplets, our podcast is your ally in the quest for financial peace of mind, proving that money matters, but family comes first. Subscribe now and join our community of empowered parents at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. What does comprehensive financial planning even mean? At Tama Capital, it means a family office where lifestyle planning such as retirement, college, portfolio management, tax prep and planning, all are under one umbrella. But it goes beyond numbers. We focus as much on the emotional side of financial planning as we do on the financial side. We get you. We understand your challenges of building a family, business or career, and a healthy life. We are devoted to wealth planning for families like yours because we are you. Learn how our family can help your family by visiting TamaCapital.com. How would your life change emotionally, physically, mentally after the loss of a child? Debbie Gale is a strong, resilient woman who has transformed her pain into her purpose. Debbie's journey began when she faced the challenge of her son's mental illness and addiction, eventually leading to his tragic loss. This is one of the most difficult conversations I've had on this show. But what I gathered or really took away from Debbie was that her encouragement to parents to embrace their children as they are, starting right now. Debbie's passion for helping other parents contributed to her writing a book, Finding Peace and purpose amidst the tears so that no parent ever feels alone. Listen to our conversation as Debbie points out time and time again that living in peace and not in fear is a choice. Please enjoy my conversation with Debbie Gale. Debbie Gale, welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm happy to be here. Well, I am looking forward to our conversation today and getting around two fundamental questions I think we're going to try to really peel back today, which is how do you turn pain and tragedy into something very purposeful? And from a parenting standpoint, dealing with uh, kids that have mental illness or an addiction, um, what parents need to be aware aware of? Because I think I've I've had several conversations over the last couple of years with with um, psychologists and therapists and and coaches like yourself that have been in similar situations before, and I think that's where it always starts with is having some high level of awareness of what's going on with our with our kids, and having you walk us through 
um, you know, from your experience, um, your your points of interest or your expertise on on how you know we can help other parents out there um, deal with something similar. So I think with, with that said, let me let me just lead with that first question, and and then we'll get into to your story and how you got here, um, which is how how does somebody, especially a parent, turn something painful tragic into something very purposeful like you've done? Yeah, so that is a great question. And for me, um, my my really, I think turning my pain into my purpose probably started somewhere along my journey with my son's mental illness and addiction and, and kind of really solidified after I lost him with that tragedy. But I think it really started from going really internal and knowing that I had this desire to live in peace and not in fear anymore. Like I spent the first year, like several years of after my son was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder when he was 17, I spent several years just living in fear. Like fear ran my life. Um, I didn't sleep well. I, I, you know, lived as if the next shoe is going to drop at any moment. Um, even if there were positive times with him, I couldn't enjoy them because I was just waiting. Okay. Like when's something bad going to happen next? And so I think that going inward and the first kind of bits of starting to turn my pain into my purpose was looking for more out of my life and looking for how to find peace for myself. And Part of that for me, part of conquering my fear was replacing it, replacing the need for certainty to have everything be the way I want it to be, to have him be fine, to have, you know, everything guaranteed, which there is no certainty. There is no guarantee. Um, replacing that with, with another need. And for me, that other need was contribution. And so really giving to others and doing things for others beyond myself. And that could be others could be um, my, my, my son, my other children, family, friends, or the world. And it kind of also started my journey for um, self-growth and learning, um, becoming certified as a, as a life and relationship coach, and then also just doing a lot of self-help programs for myself for growth. And so that started that that inward journey of um, helping others and kind of steering towards what my purpose was. And um, I remember I got a lot of satisfaction by doing things for others. For example, I was in a, I was also in a support group um, called Al-Anon and I got more out of getting involved in Al-Anon and serving others, being a group rep, um, having a, sponsoring other people, helping them along in the program. And so I got so much more. So as that contribution in my life grew, the fears lessened. And after losing my son, I just kind of went into this real deep uh, soul searching, something that I've never really gone through before, because sometimes something that's so tragic and so painful can really make you question everything in your life. Like I just started questioning everything in my life and why am I here? What's my purpose? 
and asking myself questions like, um, what, what do I really get a lot of um, joy from? What do I get a lot of satisfaction from? And I was already starting through that journey for contributing to others. And so as I did this and as I did activities such as journaling and just really going inward and just really um, after losing my son, I did a lot of, you know, self-care and taking, being gentle with myself. Um, and so that kind of just paved the way to a deep inward search and um, not wanting to um not wanting to be anything other than myself and be true to myself, like not almost not um, not seeing everything around me, but really just kind of going inward with what what is the meaning for me and what I came up with, what gave me so much satisfaction. And it just felt so true for me was to uh, help others, other parents, other family members who are going through what I went through, a similar journey to me, because I know that after losing my son, which is like one of the hardest things a parent can go through, um, I could look back at least and see that I felt peace with our relationship. I had these memories I could cherish. I was so grateful that I had sort of found my peace during his life um, so that I could be present and really enjoy him. And, and, and even though life was like this when he was living, I didn't have to be like this and I could still enjoy him and love him for who he was and have that unconditional love flowing from us. And I... So after losing him, I could look back and not have regrets as far as our relationship goes and as far as my journey to finding peace. And so I knew that there were so many other parents out there struggling, um, struggling in many ways, living in that fear that I spent several years living in where it's really tough and it's really difficult. And when you live that way, um, you can't really be present and enjoy your child. And so I wanted them to, I wanted them to know that this is so important. Your child is here now and you have this opportunity to be with them now and you don't have to wait for them to be all better. You don't have to wait for things to be perfect. You don't have to wait for them to find the right medications or, um, you know, get, you know, get over their illness or if they're using drugs or alcohol for them to stop, you don't have to wait. You can start having this loving relationship with them now. And I knew that I could help them with this because I went through this and I knew I could help them with peace. So it just became so clear to me um, with this inward search. But it's just interesting because I think sometimes when you go through a big tragedy, um, you can really start to question everything, question your whole life and your purpose here. Yeah, just just listening to you to you make those points, the, the the term that I thought of was was peace of mind. It's one that I often talk about, um, not only from a financial planning perspective, as what I do as a as a wealth advisor, but also the emotional side of it. Thus, thus the name emotional balance sheet, because a lot of the conversations that we've had over the last two and a half years have been uh pretty emotional and obviously this is being being one of them one of the things too 
Debbie, I was thinking about when you were when you were laying that out is I think a lot of people struggle with giving themselves the time to go deep and reflect, whether it's about dealing with uh, a child, um, trying to figure out what they want to do with their career. I think getting back to trying to find one's purpose. And when, when I meet with new families and existing families I work with, that's really what I focus on right off the bat is laying out or, or, or starting the process of laying out what is your family's purpose? Like, what do you want to accomplish and achieve? It's not just starting with numbers on a balance sheet or, or a financial statement, if you will. So obviously you, you, you likely got there because of your, your, the tragedy with your son, but may, maybe you didn't. How, how do you make the time to step back? And I, I always hate using the term like that, make the time because it's a matter of choosing what we do with our time. So how does one really choose to take the bull by the horns, if you will, and and go deep? And is it is it fear-based? Like I, I I likely think that people don't like to do it because they're afraid of what they're going to find out about themselves. That is, that can be so true in the beginning, especially if you're a person who hasn't really gone deep and spent time with themselves. That can be hard. It can be a scary place. Scary. It can be a really scary place, right? So um, it's really when I talk to people about like how they would want to go about finding their purpose, like self-love comes into it as such a really big role, like being able to be gentle with yourself and being able to be patient with yourself and um, to be, to be authentic and real. So not to be like influenced by what others are saying or what other people are steering you towards or what other people are saying. If they're saying like, just hurry up and move on. Just, you don't worry about your purpose or, or this is what maybe they're trying to tell them what their purpose is. This is what you need to do. And it's not about any of that. It's, it's really about um, you. And so I feel like um, I, I'm also a life coach. So I feel like that whole going through how to how to love yourself and how to um show yourself love is is kind of a precursor to that to being able to do that because you're really to find your purpose you're honoring yourself and you're you're also kind of thinking back as to you know what what kinds of things have you really enjoyed doing and and maybe you're good at and you've gotten like some satisfaction um and sometimes it's it's just um it's just getting into like that relaxing state and and focusing on gratitude and focusing on um just yourself really it and it's this is about you and i i understand this can be really challenging cuz so many times we're used to the outside influence of what others think when you're when you're going through that with um you know coaching clients that you work with are there a specific uh, steps or framework outline that you walk people through to help get them from, say, the very beginning when when they probably have never tried to think about you know what they want to do their their purpose, if you will, to you know baby steps like one step at a time to get them from not necessarily zero to a hundred, but to start making some progress like is there 
Is there an outline or a framework that, that you walk people through to be able to start opening up to give themselves that, that gift of figuring out their, their why or their purpose? Yeah, there actually, um, there is, um, let me just see. Um, so some steps that I start them out with is, um, like just having, well, first we would talk more about self-love, but just kind of assuming a basis of they're, they're starting to learn to give themselves love, um, is, is having them realize that, um, they find their purpose by connecting to their uh, authentic self and, and by, and by, by being able to live with an open heart. So that's part of also the reason why self-love is like being able to have an open heart. Otherwise you're not going to be like open to, to what your purpose is and being able to really, you know, connect to your authentic self. Um, And when you say authentic self, I guess if I translate that, that just means be real, be honest. Yeah. It means like, it means what are like your own, like so many times we think stuff is ours. And really, if we examine it, it comes from some belief we had from like a parent or a teacher or some role model or some friend or media or whatever. So it's, it's about really deciphering what's truly ours. What's, what, what's really true for us. And so Sometimes that can be a whole process in its own. Cause like I said, we have so many things that think we think is ours, but it's really someone else's belief that we just adopted. We don't even realize it. And subconsciously we make it our own. Um, yeah. So, um, and then realizing like when we search inward, realizing that everything you need is within yourself. Um, and you know, every time some kind of, limiting belief or block comes up saying, you know, you're, you know, this isn't something you can do, or you're, you know, you don't have a purpose, you know, some negative stuff that comes up, like replacing it with something that is more um, empowering and, and not, you know, not allowing other people's opinions um, to, to influence this process. Um, And then looking at some of our goals, like some goals that we've had in life, um, things that we things that we that has brought us joy and pleasure things that we've been good at and this could be even just small things like it could even go back to childhood like you know what did you naturally do um to bring yourself joy and so just kind of like examining these positive influences that you've had over time um that are really true to yourself. Cause sometimes when you go back to like, when you're a really young child and, you know, things that brought you joy, like that's kind of before all the, all the influence <laughs> came and, and yeah. affected, <laughs> affected <laughs> everything. Um, so sometimes that can, um, kind of open your eyes and, um, you, you don't, you definitely don't want it to be like fear driven or, or anxiety driven. Um, yeah, the one what I was thinking like one of the, the one of the things you just pointed out there when I'm having discussions with families I work with about their career specifically, um, obviously there's a very famous Stanford commencement speech by Steve Jobs that says follow your passion, and I'm kind of the opposite of that. I've had a few guests on that I've, I've had conversations with Dan Pink comes to mind about I think what you just pointed out. It's like go back and look at and think about what you were good at. 
that you that you that you like to do. When you like to do something, you tend to be, you know, more, you know, naturally gifted at at that. And yeah. follow that route as far as your career or where you want to, you know, go with your with your roles rather than trying to f- figure out what 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 am I what's the passion that's driving me. And sometimes those two things do align. But I I found to your point where think about what you're good at and then successful will come from that. Yeah, absolutely. And many times they many times they do align because when you're good at something, sometimes you're good at it because it is a passion of yours, you know. And I I just think that um, yeah, I think I think some of these skills and abilities can come naturally because of that passion. And not always, sometimes it's something that's not necessarily, but if you really have this really strong passion, then that could drive, you know, your learning to be good at it, um, even if it doesn't come naturally. So it's kind of an exploratory process. It's not to say like, you have to do this and you have to be like an expert in this now. And, you know, maybe you're not, maybe Maybe your purpose is something that's really like deep and passionate to you and and you just feel like it this is your this is your purpose in the world and this is your mission. And maybe, maybe you might have some things that you need to do. Like maybe you might need to take some courses or maybe you might need to um, you know, experience some more things yourself in order to really be um, you know, express that purpose better. So it does you don't necessarily automatically have to have that. And, and listening to you to just make that point, I'm thinking about where my kids are at in their lives and the exploratory nature of them trying to figure out what they like and what they're good at and and how um, it's been a struggle between my wife and I and, and them um, because some have have found their 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 way much faster than than others. And that that's that's a really interesting point because I was just having this conversation with with my youngest daughter and her friend that was taking to theater camp this morning and I said hey are you still going to be dancing that uh you know this fall she's like no you know I I think I'm going to theater route that's that's going to be my my main focus and then I'm just thinking about my daughter who's kind of all over the board and I have this this inclination to want to try to push her one direction or the other but I realize that's the that'd be the worst move I can make. I need to to back off and continue to let her try to find her way and what she she wants to be good at and, and likes to do. Yeah, I think so. And I know it is, I know it's really hard as a parent because I know I did this with um, so I have three kids all in their well, on their 20s. One one obviously passed away, the oldest one. So my middle one, um, I remember he he thanked me a number of times for always letting him be himself and discover his, his, I forget the words he used. I don't think he used purpose, but, you know, kind of discover what he's good at and how he fits into the world. And, you know, and he really appreciated that. So I was going to say that has to be a huge, uh, you know, proud parent, proud mom moment for you. Oh, <laughs> I know it, was, it would be for me. It was. I know he 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 gives he loves to both my kids love to give me um cards at at 
my birthday and they'll write so much in there. And it's like, they always make me, it always makes me cry, but this is a repeating theme. I know that he's um, written to me in the, in the card. So absolutely. (laughs) One of the, one of the subjects I wanted to touch base on was a a lot of conversations I've had over the years um, have been around people's transitions and obviously will losing us a, a a child is obviously beyond a transition but what i wanted to ask you about is is talk about how did you where did you go from being before you were a coach to becoming a a life coach focused on you know working with parents working with 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 um kids that have uh potential you know a mental uh illness challenge like what was that was that transition guided through what your experience was through you know with your son or was that something that you were kind of exploring on on your own Yeah so I think it was definitely like a process through looking for peace in my life and kind of help for myself when I was on that journey after he was diagnosed with the mental illness and started using drugs and alcohol because I think that I was really driven to not let fear run my life and to find peace. And part of that journey with kind of realizing that um, the need for certainty was behind fear and being able to replace my need for certainty with something else such as contribution, that was kind of all in the process of this whole journey of growth and what led me to wanting to help others. Perhaps before that, I realized that I really loved, got so much out of helping others. Like I said, when I was in programs such as Al-Anon, where I was doing more for others and volunteering than I was looking for support from it. I did get support from it. I met some amazing friends in there, but I think I got more out of uh, serving others through there. And so that kind of led me to um, to wanting to become a coach. I, I think I had also, I followed a number of coaches. I had take, I had read books, a lot of like growth books. And um, I had attended some Tony Robbins events and just, you know, done a lot of stuff with growth. And I think just that desire to really help others motivated me to then become certified as a coach. And I I went through a number of different certifications. I was kind of like that person who loved being a student, (laughs) who just loved learning because um, not only could I use what I learned to help others, I also used it, applied it in my own life to help my own situation, even though it wasn't, the trainings weren't specifically that I went through, weren't specifically geared towards, you know, having a child with mental illness and addiction. Um, but I was able to take what I was learning in my own situation and what was working for me and kind of use all that together. Why? I, I think this is probably a good point in our conversation to have you walk our audience through your personal story with your with your son. Yeah, sure. So um, when he was, I mean, when he was 17, he... And we had had, first to back up, he, we had always had a really close relationship. Um, I had three kids. Alex was my oldest and we were all very close. They were, they were 20 months apart and their dad hadn't 
really been in the picture for a long time. And I was a single mom and the four of us were always very close. And so they came to me with a lot of different things, maybe, you know, scary things, difficult things, but anyway, uh, and, and I know that they always told me they felt safe and not judged coming to me. So I think that that really helped, but there was, it was the day after Thanksgiving and it was like that, that, Black Friday or whatever. And it was in the evening and um, Alex came to me and I'll never forget. I can see exactly where I was, where I was sitting, him there and everything. And he told me that he wanted to kill himself and he described exactly how he thought about doing it. And he admitted that he had attempted it as well. And, um, it took all of my energy to remain calm inside so that I didn't like alarm him or scare him, but I could continue to be that safe space for him to just tell me whatever it is that he wants to tell me and share with me. And so I was just, I listened. And after he told me, we called the uh, doctor by that time he was 17 so he was already seeing my uh, general practitioner so luckily she was she's reachable she's on call we were able to reach her we were able to talk to her she called over to um, a mental health hospital that treated uh, minors because he wasn't 18 yet so and then that hospital gave us a call and wanted to talk to him even alone a little bit on the phone. And I remember leaving the room and just feeling really scary and really hard. And so that ended up, he was in the hospital for about three and a half weeks and he was diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder. And for anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's kind of a cross between bipolar and schizophrenia. So you have symptoms such as, um, mania and depression, but you also have, uh, may have hallucinations, both auditory or, and, or visual, a lot of paranoia. And so it's really scary. It's really scary for the family. It's also really scary for the person, which I think people forget to realize. And so we also confirmed that diagnosis. They encouraged us after the hospital to get testing done. And we did that. And, uh, that, that began, a very long journey and a very challenging journey. And it, it led to a number of hospital stays in and out of, he was in and out of the hospital. Once he was 18, he was able to be on the psychiatric unit of the regular hospital. Um, he, he trying different medications, finding a good psychiatrist, finding a good therapist. And, um, he, it led to him starting to use drugs and that drug, uh, that drug habit became an addiction and the drugs worsened over time as well. So, um, in and out of hospitals also included in and out of treatment centers, um, rehabs, detox units, all kinds of things. Um, I almost lost him a number of times. There were, several times that he had overdosed on drugs, not intentionally, but the nature of drugs sometimes, especially if, if one goes off and then they go into treatment and they come back 
come back to using. Sometimes it can, you know, they can take too much. It's an overdose for their system or just, I think just being in that drug state, it's probably easy to overdose. And so there are a number of times that um, I didn't, I didn't think he was going to make it. I, you know, I got phone calls in the middle of the night from the ICU, you know, when he was in his early twenties that, you know, he was brought in and his heart almost stopped and, you know, they're working with him and he's, you know, he's in critical condition. And, um, there was another time where, um, another, he was, he was at work and working at a, a grocery store and, um, he wasn't doing well. And one of his friends, uh, family lived right, right nearby. And he, his mom had brought, uh, my son to me and, um, she, she couldn't wake him up. He was in her van and she didn't know what to do. And, you know, I had wondered why she didn't just bring him directly to the hospital, but I called 911 and they, they weren't sure if they'd be able to save him. And they, they broke off everything as a crime scene because, um, you know, they just didn't know who this person was and everything. And, you know, all those times he survived. And I think I just had this thought that he would keep surviving. Like he had conquered a lot. And, you know, in his 20s, he also had other complicating factors such as uh, type 1 diabetes and a seizure disorder. So he ended up in the hospital quite a lot. And the later years had a lot of uh, diabetic ketoacidosis. He was, I think from using the drugs and the alcohol, he wasn't taking good care of his diabetes and his blood sugar would climb to over 900 and he'd almost go into a diabetic. Mm. Um, so life was definitely challenging for him. And he, you know, there were, there were just many, many scares, many challenges. Um, we all remain close. His siblings were all close to him in his 20s. Um, I don't think a day went by that he and his brother didn't speak, even though they geographically at some point didn't live close to each other when his brother had gone off to college and then later got a job and was working. Um, they always remained close. And we we rarely ever saw him completely sober, completely off drugs and alcohol. It was kind of an on and off thing. He'd go in and get treatment. In the later years, it kind of changed because he himself was motivated to go get sober. He himself was motivated if he was like off his meds and he was feeling really suicidal or really paranoid or hallucinations, he'd put himself in the hospital. So that was a really positive thing. The problem is, is that it just didn't always last. And um, we had to learn to just accept him. And even though it didn't mean we agreed with his choices, it didn't mean that he was living the life that we wanted him to live. But it meant that we we loved him and we accepted him as he was. And we were able to still have a close relationship with him. And I, I remember it was um, like January 1st of 2022 and we all got together uh, for the holidays. And it was the first time that his brother and sister and I saw him completely sober. He was off of everything and he actually seemed really happy. And um, we were really encouraged by that. And little did we know that less than a week later, I would receive a phone call 
that from the police officer that he was found dead. So that was, it was really hard. I know my parents said that they weren't surprised, but I think for me, I, like I said, he conquered so much. And I guess I just thought he would keep going. That is, um, that is an amazing uh, journey. I can't imagine, like, and listening to you talk about it, I'm trying to put myself in, in your shoes and it's like impossible. And I think it, your story goes back to one of the points you made you know, when we first started the conversation, which was your, your decision to live in peace and not fear, because I can just imagine as you were describing the ups and downs of everything, like you never know, you never knew when you were going to get a call in the middle of the night. And like, how do you, how do you live life like that? Like, how do you, how do you choose to be able to, as you said, live in peace and not fear? It's like you said, it's a choice. It's knowing that I have a choice and it's knowing that living in the fear wasn't, wasn't working for me. If it, when you're living in the fear, you're not even, what I realized is I wasn't even present. Like I remember what kind of was this turning point for me earlier on when I kind of was motivated to really get rid of the fear and live in peace is I just, I had this big breakdown in front of friends and nothing was actually going bad. I mean, my son had been admitted to the hospital, but I had just spoken with the doctor and, and everything was going smoothly. And I just had this like massive breakdown. And I think that's when I realized that I wasn't like living my life. I wasn't present for my life. So it's, it's, it's like you said, it's, it's a choice. And if I didn't make that choice, not like, not only would I not have peace, I'm determined that it would have impacted our relationship as well, because I wouldn't have been able to be present. And I feel like when you're living in fear, you, you live like you're trying to control life and, and we don't have control over anything else, but ourselves and our own thoughts and feelings and beliefs. And so you're, it's like when you're trying to control reality, like reality's happening in front of you and you're fighting with it. So there's always this fight. There's always this struggle. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to be in that fight. I didn't want to be in that struggle. I wanted to, you know, I have a, I was a single mom. I had two other children as well. I wanted to be present for all, all of my kids. And, you know, it's so, it's like you said, it's, it's a conscious choice and it might be a moment to moment awareness in the beginning as well. So one of the, the outcomes that I find really fascinating about your story and your journey is that you decided to write a book about this. And the, the title of your book is finding peace and purpose amid the tear, amid, amidst the tears. What, what drove you to write the book and to, to share your story? Because you're probably going to answer my next question when it comes to parenting. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it will or not. But anyway, I, it's not like I didn't consciously think to myself, oh my gosh, I want to write a book. It was more like I was guided. So I, um, I'm sure people can relate to you have, you know, you're on a million email lists, so you get all kinds of emails and, you know, many of them you just kind of, delete or, or ignore. And I'm on um, a, a Hay House email list. And I, shortly after losing my son, this was probably mid-February, 
um, I was guided to specifically open an email from them, even though I get so many and there's so many different things and so many things they're promoting. And I don't look at most of them, unfortunately, but um, I was specifically guided to open this particular email and it was on a book, a free book writing workshop. And I remember thinking, oh, I would, you know, I should sign up, but I'm not really ready to start listening to things because I had kind of temporarily after losing him, I wasn't really listening to all of my, the things I normally listen to, the podcasts, the books, the self-growth stuff, the programs. I had kind of taken a break because I couldn't absorb it all. And, but I thought, okay, well, I, I'm ready to sign up. It's free. I'll sign up. And I listened to the whole thing. And by the time it was over, I registered for their, um, their one-year writer's community, which teaches you in depth about writing a book. And I knew that this was what I was supposed to do. Like, I just knew, I didn't know the title yet of my book, but I knew I was supposed to, I was being guided. I was supposed to write a book on my journey to help other parents. And um, as I started listening to stuff in the course and participating in the Q&As in the very beginning, everything became so clear. I, it all really, honestly, a lot of it flowed to me on all of the sleepless nights. Like I remember learning that it was so important, for example, to do an outline. And I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, that's going to be hard to organize all this material. And it all flowed to me one sleepless night. And I wrote the whole detailed outline the very next it's day. It's amazing how that happens. Amazing how that happens. <laughs> It was all, yeah, it was all, I mean, I really believe I had help from my son. I think that it was all, all the memories that I needed to put in the book, the, the way that I needed to present it, how I did the outline, it's, it all, and the outline never changed. It always stayed the same. I worked with editors. I worked with a book coach. Um, I worked with different people and, you know, and I, I was open to feedback, of course, and especially even the structure, but also knowing that there was a reason I put it this way and I wasn't just going to change things around without really giving a lot of thought. And there was only one one little thing that I, I put in a different position. Um, everything else pretty much stayed the same. And of course, I had editing done and I you know worked with an editor and everything. But um, yeah, it was also a really... Uh, healing and fulfilling writing writing the book as well so so listeners we will put a link to the, uh the the book in the show notes so i would encourage everybody to check that out again the title of the book is finding peace and purpose amidst the tears debbie what would what would you tell parents for one to what a couple a couple things to look for from the book when they read it what what should be their two main takeaways, if you will. Yeah. So, so one of them, so it is a memoir, but it also shares how I found um, peace and it shows later my journey after losing him with finding my purpose. So the, the takeaways is one is to not feel alone, to feel that there, that you're not alone in what you're going through and that there is hope for peace and healing for you, that even though you may not be able to change what's happening in your child's life. Um, you can change what's happening, your experience for yourself. And in doing that, you're also becoming in a better position to be able to give help to your child and to have a closer relationship for your child. But I, I wrote this book so that so that parents wouldn't feel alone because I know that after I lost my son, 
one of the things I did was I read memoirs that were written by other people who had lost a loved one. And so that helped me with connection. So I want this book to be the connection for people who have a child with mental illness or addiction, or even if you're a caregiver, or even if you're a sibling or living with, you know, living with or loving somebody who's got mental illness or addiction, it's, it's not an easy journey and, you know, you're not alone and there is hope for you. I, it's just, it's amazing. Amazing. Um, I think that's probably a, a good transition into to my closing question that I ask all of my guests, which I'm, I'm really fascinating what this will be for you, is what is the best thing about being a parent? Oh, having that unconditional loving bond with your child. That's, uh, I think that's obviously through your story um, and, and journey, obviously that, that transcends everything. So Debbie, I can't thank you enough for, um, sharing your story and going so deep with us. Um, you know, all the, the actual items and, and thoughts, um, that, that you shared that I know that, that parents who listen to this, uh, podcast will, will take away. So, um, I can't thank you enough for being on the emotional balance sheet podcast. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful being a guest. So what can we take away from our conversation with Debbie? I think two things really stick out. One is to replace the need for certainty with a focus on contribution to find peace and overcome fear. As I mentioned in the intro, as Debbie pointed out, living in peace and not fear is a choice. The other point is Debbie gave back to others, which helped create a sense of fulfillment and purpose. Also, getting through her tragedy, she was able to reflect back on past experience and activities that brought her joy and helped her rediscover her own purpose and align with her authentic self. Replacing her limited beliefs with empowering thoughts so that she could rediscover her life and find meaning in loss. Now that you've made it to the end of another great conversation, are you looking for more? If so, head over to TamaCapital.com where you will find all of our conversations. Use the search feature to find the topic or guest you would love to learn more about. Also, don't forget to make someone else's day by sharing our show. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast.